All right, let's get started. Now, how many of you have ever noticed that even the little, did I, did I get too excited? Calm down. Have you ever noticed that even the slightest of change can make a radical difference? Have y'all ever noticed this before? There's, there's a multitude of ways we could illustrate this, but the other day I was at Chewy's with some of our staff and we were eating lunch and I sat down, a group of us, and I'm feeling good. I like Chewy's, I like the tortilla soup. So you should try it, it's great. And so I, 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 get, I place my order and I look ahead and I see a, a, a fly, right? And I go, ah, oh, that stinks for them, right? Because I know what's gonna happen with that guy. And it was like he heard me and he turned his little wings around and he came right for me and for the remainder of lunch, this fly, or fly, not flea, fly, was just all on my neck, on my head, on my arm, on my menu, on my plate, on my bowl. I mean, I was just, I looked like this and everyone's looking at me, what is wrong with you? I promise it's not me, it's this this guy, and they're like, what guy? This thing, that it was a crazy thing. Now, my point is this. It was the tiniest little bug, but it was the most annoying experience I had all week because it wouldn't leave me alone. Now, why do I say that? Because what we're gonna see at the very beginning as we kick off tonight is we're gonna see a word, a tiny little word that's gonna radically change the feel of our story. We are gonna see a radical contrast off one word. Are you ready? Okay, let's begin. We're in the book of Joshua. Turn to chapter six. We're gonna end up in chapter seven, but I wanna show you this really quick. Joshua chapter six, verse 27. Here we go. Note takers, that was your cue. Okay. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Okay, so let's pause. All is good, right? I even made it green in my Bible, okay? Highlighter green, all is good. Joshua's been successful. His name's beginning to make way. Why? Because he's following the Lord. Things are going great. This is fantastic. And then look what's next. What is it? But. Everybody say but. You're welcome, all right? But the people of Israel broke faith. And that language, by the way, as we did, some, if we do some research in that, you'll find that that's the kind of language that's used when they talk about extramarital affairs or marital infidelity. Okay, so this is strong language that they're using. They broke faith in regard to the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Did you see what happened? Do you see how quick it went from all is well, this is great, Joshua's fallen, and then boom, radical change. Now here's what I wanna show you right off the bat. They had just won this great war at Jericho, right? God led the way, we talked about this last week. God led the way, brought down the wall. They took everything, they did exactly what they were supposed to do, so we think, but here's what happens. After a great victory, we are positioned for great defeat. After a great victory, we are positioned for great defeat. Okay, so let's think about this. Why does that happen? because we let our guard down. Sometimes we let our self-confidence grow a little too much. Have you ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand, but it's probably all of us. Um, I think about, so at my gym that I work out in, we do all kinds of little competitions along the way. It's the only way they keep me engaged because I love to just destroy people um, with love, of course, and then show them Jesus afterwards. But there's all these competitions, and so sometimes I'll win, and sometimes I'll lose. Now when I win, can I just be honest? The next day when I show up to the gym, I'm taking it a little easy, right? 
because I just conquered the enemy that was standing next to me on the treadmill, right? I won, and so the next day I come in, I'm feeling good about myself, so I take it easy. But if I lose, there's a whole new just jolt of energy that comes in me, and I am, I'm ready to work, man. Not today. I'm gonna run as far as I can. I'm gonna row as hard as I can. I'm gonna lift as hard as I can. I don't even care what you think about me right now. And there's this competition, if you will, that comes out. Why? Because the picture is this. When I lose, I am focused. I never want that to happen again, and so I try to take those steps to fix that. But when I win, it's very easy to kind of let my guard down, to take it easy, to pull back a minute, or to get over confident, and this is exactly what we are going to see happens with the people of Israel. So much so that even Joshua's fame, his name that was beginning to spread, all the good news that was happening are not gonna be able to cover what is to come. Now I wanna show you one more thing and then we'll dig into what happened. The devoted things here, this is referenced back from last week in Joshua 6.18. And basically what it was is God gave instruction that everything that you capture when you step into Jericho is to be put aside and to be put aside for me. Essentially, it's gonna be a first fruits to God. What does that mean? Well, this was their first battle and God wanted them to make sure that they remembered who provided for them every step of the way. And so the first things they would gather, the first fruits, would be set aside for God. So that's the backdrop of our story. They've defeated Jericho. Jericho was going to be the hardest battle that they would face. And they win and they don't lose a single person in the battle. Are you ready? Okay, let's jump into verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now you're going to want to say Ai, but it's Ai. I probably will say AI at some point when I get tired of trying to remember AE, but I just want you to understand how it goes so you are good to go, okay? Jericho to AE, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out AE, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack AE. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Did you catch that? It's a small group of people. We don't need to send everybody. Just send the, send the A team, the small team. Let's go take them out. Translation, I should have started there, I know. Verse four, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sabirim and struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water, okay? So Joshua says, all right guys, let's continue the process we've been using every step of the way. Do you remember this? What have they done? Every time they've used spies to go out before, to take a look at what's going on, let's see what's happening, we'll make our decision on how and when we're gonna attack, and then we'll go. They take the normal steps they've been doing, but they forgot one thing, did anybody notice it? They didn't stop and talk to God. They kept the rhythm of what had been working throughout their life, throughout this mission, this conquest they've been on, but in the process, they got a little self-confident, they got excited, and they jumped ahead, and they forgot to convene with God. Now, had they convened with God, he would have told them what a big problem was that took place that none of us are aware of yet. Now, here's what I want you to see. It says, we're only gonna send a few now, this is not just Joshua's decision. This is the people. So everybody's on board here. There's not a revolt here. They're just thinking. They're excited. They're confident. And so they jump ahead, and they jump out of turn. And look what happens. 36 of their men are killed. Do you know how many more that is than Jericho? 36. 
Because at Jericho, no one died. And in this little battle that they thought, oh, no big deal, we'll get up there, we'll take them out, send back the troops, all will be well. They lost 36 men. What does that mean? That's 36 wives that are now widows. That's 36 families that now kiddos don't have a father because of a bad decision. Let's keep going. So then it says that their hearts melted and became as water. They didn't actually become water. They became as water. Why? Because the people all of a sudden looked ahead at the many conquests that were waiting for them, and all of a sudden, their defeat led them to doubt. Their defeat led them to doubt. Now, for some of us, we have to remember that in this context, defeat is in the context of war. But for you and I, we're not talking about war right now, we're talking about life. When you are defeated, you begin to doubt. Let's take a modern illustration. Let's say, mm, maybe a relationship. He dumps you. Sorry, ladies, you're up tonight. He dumps you. And you go, that was a nice sound effect. You say, I don't know what I did. I don't know what's wrong with me. He told me it wasn't me, it was him, which usually means he was just too chicken to tell me the truth. And so there must be something wrong with me, but I don't know what's wrong with me, so I've got to process and figure out something's wrong with me, but what if I never figure out what's wrong with me, and what if every other guy that I encounter thinks that this is wrong with me, and so therefore no guy is ever interested in me to even date, let alone to then get married, and then I'm not going to get married, so I'm not going to have kids, I'm not going to have grandkids, they're not going to stand up at my funeral and talk about my long family, because something was wrong with me, and I couldn't figure it out, because he dumped me, and I never understood why, and because there was, in essence, a defeat, you begin to what? Doubt. Now some of you are kind of laughing, some of you are kind of going, ugh. Got me. Here's reality. We are going to experience defeats in life. That's not news to us. But what we've got to remember is that that defeat, if we're not careful, is going to lead to doubt. But that's not what the Lord would desire for us to have. In our defeats, he wants us to turn toward him and to try to figure out what's happening. But here's what takes place. Most of us, when something like this happens and our doubt begins to grow, Okay, instead of turning to God for an answer, we look to him and we wonder why he's not being faithful. And the problem is not God's faithfulness, the problem is usually our loyalty or our obedience. So we start to what? Blame God because we're trying to figure out how did this happen, what, what in the world took place, why did he leave me, why did all of this, and we're trying to figure it out and we do the natural thing as we go, okay Lord, I thought you were faithful. I thought you loved me, I thought you cared about me, I thought you were gonna provide every good thing for me, and I know life's not gonna be easy, but come on, a man, you gotta have that, I gotta get married, I gotta have all these, and all of a sudden, our minds begin to wonder. The other part of this, it says their hearts melted, because you know what they realized? That what they'd done in Jericho only happened because of God, and now that God was no longer with them, the first thing they experienced was defeat. As they looked ahead and realized that Apparently God is no longer walking with us. Their hearts begin to melt. What they realize is without God, none of this is gonna be possible. We didn't think about it, we just reacted, but we kinda took it on our own, and now we realize when we leave God behind, we set ourselves up for trouble. I remember the very first lesson that I ever taught as a teacher of the Bible, it went like this. Some of you have heard this story before. It went like this. Don't laugh yet. It may be funny, it may not. I got up there, I was 21, long surfer hair, don't write that in your notes. I was nervous, I was excited, 
and adrenaline was flowing through me. I started talking. I'm not going to say preaching because it wasn't very good. But I started talking, and I got a little rhythm going, right? Got a little excited. And so I did the natural thing. I wanted to be closer to the people. I was so excited. So I just, this, this podium was in my way. So I did this. And I started talking to the people, and I realized I have nothing to say. I need my Bible. I need my, so I brought my podium back. And I started talking again, and I got excited again, and I got ahead of myself, and I, this podium just keeps getting in my way. Like, I need to talk to the people. They need to hear me. Even back then, it was like this. I'm sorry. And I put it over to the side, and I went back. And three or four times, I kept doing this, and I kept taking this podium, but essentially the picture of what I was doing, I was taking God out of the center and trying to do it myself, and every time I hit a roadblock, Every single time, in fact, that day scarred me so much, you will be hard-pressed to find any picture or video of me teaching without a, it just, it won't happen. That day scarred me so much in a good way that it reminded me about, you don't, you, I only use an iPad if I am like desperate and usually on a retreat, and that's the only way I can function on a multi kind of teaching time. Otherwise, I don't do any of that. I want the Bible. That's the only thing I want because I know that it's God's word at the center that's going to keep all of this going. And so when I look at this, it reminds me of these, these men, these women, as they started to navigate this new journey, they got excited, but what they realized, is without God, there's nothing that we can do, absolutely nothing. And that same is true for you and I. Then verse six, then Joshua, here's his response, tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, so they're just face down, they're praying, they're, they're, just, they're just begging, if you will, and they put dust on their heads. This is their sign of mourning. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan, to dwell back where we were in the first place. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemy? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, will surrender us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Did you see what he did? He, big word, prostrated himself, laid himself down on the ground before the Lord begging the Lord to give him some form of an answer. And here's the thing. If he would have just prostrated himself after victory, he would have never had to do it in defeat. And that's a lot of us. Something good happens and we leave God behind because all's well. But oh, if something bad goes, all of a sudden we run back to the Lord. Lord, save me. Lord, bring me out of this. Lord, help me navigate all this. And God's saying, I've been blessing you every step of the way, but you seem to leave me when I bless you. And then you come running back to me when something goes wrong. And these people are modeling for us so much of how we are. And he says, on, he's on his face, and he's begging God for answers. And I want to warn you, if you're, if you're a young Christian, doesn't matter how old you are, but if you're a young Christian, be warned. You're going to have moments like this. It's okay. It's part of the maturing of your faith. You're going to have moments where you go, Lord, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to navigate this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, even, I don't know if you're even walking with me. That's part of the growing process. What you're going to see, though, I think we've said this every week, what you're going to see is as you look back, you're going to see God has taken you through every little journey, every little step, every little battle, every little war, and he's provided a way for you to make it to the end, and that's how your faith grows. So young Christians, be ready 
You're gonna have some moments like this. That's okay, it's gonna develop you. Now I'm not gonna promise when you become an older Christian, whatever that looks like, that you're never gonna have problems, but I will say this, you'll be surprised a lot less when the trials of life come. You'll be more understanding. You won't always be ready, because that's part of the growing process, but you'll have a better understanding that this is the way that it works as God is growing and developing us. So then he says these words, why bother? Why not just keep us on the other side of the Jordan? Why did you bring us into this place? Do you remember what was waiting on the other side of Jordan? Remember where they came from? Slavery and the wilderness, okay? So he's thinking about the quote unquote good old days. Now some of us, we might think about this. We go, well, there was a day before I was a Christian that if you said something to me, I'd just curse you out and I didn't think one thing about it. And I wanted you to hear everything I wanted you to hear. I said everything I wanted to say. And even some of you might have knocked them out, right? Don't do that now, it's not good. Um, but sometimes I'm with you. I just, man, where I come from, you get punched dead in the mouth for that. Some, that's okay. Some of you think about, man, when I used to have fun, I never had to worry about what people might think of me or, or how I might lead a brother or a sister. Or I just did whatever I wanted and all was good. It was easier back in the day, the good old days. You see Joshua and he's going, you have the promised land in front of you. God has defeated one of your enemies that was the strongest one that no one thought you could conquer. He is walking you on this journey and you're dreaming about the good old days? And the truth is some of us, we find ourselves there too. Man, this Christian life is so hard. Why do I bother? Why do I bother? Because what's waiting for us on the other side, it's unbelievable. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Did you catch that? That wasn't me, that was the Lord. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Okay, now that's intense. That's intense. First of all, I love this. I love that the Bible's real. Okay, God could have altered this story so that we all just go, oh, God's people always get it right and God always picks the right person. No, he said, let me expose you, Joshua, and all of your people so that we can all learn, but more importantly, so that you can get right and make this story happen. So what does he say? He says, get up. Why are you on your face? See, God didn't have a change of heart. The people had a change of position. They lost their focus. God didn't change a thing. They did. You see how this works? And so God looks at him and he says, no, 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 you need to get up. And it's funny, this happened earlier with Moses, Exodus 14, 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. This was around the Red Sea time. So God has said this multiple times where he says, listen, there's the time to pray. And there's a time to get up and move. There's a time to wait, and there's a time to take a step forward. And so he's calling him out and he says, why? Now some of us would go, okay, wait a minute. Prayer is important, and you are absolutely 100% right. But you need to understand a little bit about prayer. Prayer is not for you to whine to God, though at times he's grateful with, graceful with us so that we can do that. It's not for whining. 
And it's not for you and I to inform God of what he needs to do or what he should have done. Prayer, when we do it right, is us standing before God and saying, regardless of this situation, Lord, I am reporting for duty. I am ready to walk through this however you want me to, but I need you, God, to show me what you want me to see. That's what prayer does. Prayer draws us into the story so that we might gather the eyes of God and see what he sees. Some of you prayed. Let's go back to the relationship. You prayed for that girl in fifth grade to marry you. Now you're praising God that that didn't happen because that would have been the worst thing that ever happened to you. Right? And so sometimes his, his movement here is for us to simply get on board with the story. He's like, you're asking for a couple of coins. I've got $100, not really, relax, $100 bills waiting for you if you'll just wait and trust me. So sometimes our prayers are simply to just bring us in line. And so maybe today, maybe tonight, God is saying, get up. Maybe to you, he's saying, get up. Ever thought about that? Maybe tonight, you needed to hear, get up. Maybe some of you, somebody over here, let's see. Maybe somebody over here, I don't know anything, I'm not profiting. Someone over here, you got dumped recently. I don't know. If that's right, awesome. Tell me afterwards. You got dumped recently. Hey, I got good news. God is telling you tonight, get up and be grateful because it's better now than later. Amen? Amen. Maybe some of us back here, let's see. Everyone's getting nervous. Don't be nervous. It's all good. Maybe somebody over here, could be the camera guy. I don't know. He's freaking out. I don't know what to do right now. Where'd he go? Maybe somebody over here lost your job. And you go, God, what am I supposed to do? I lost my job, and maybe tonight God wants you to hear, hey, listen, you lost your job, but that's okay. I got a better one for you. I just need you to hang on. That's good news. Amen. I'll say it myself. Maybe somebody over here in the front, uh uh-oh, someone in the front here, man, Someone in the front here, they're going through a struggle, just a struggle. Could be a multitude of things. And you're going, oh, that sounds good when you're up there, buddy. And maybe God's saying to you, hey, I want you to get up because I'm going to show you that that struggle is going to make you stronger. But I need you to walk through it. Some of us are trying to figure out who we are. Why did God create me? I'm still not sure he, he did it on purpose. Maybe it was an accident. I fell off the line. Somehow I just came together, but I don't think he really has a plan for me. And God's saying to you tonight, no, 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 I need you. I need you to take this time to get to know me, to discover me, so that I can help you discover why I created you. You know what happens? It's funny. Sometimes, I just wanted to get my steps in in case y'all were wondering. Sometimes, why y'all think that's funny? That wasn't that funny. Sometimes we start praying, and it started good. We started praying. We got on our knees symbolically, or maybe you actually got on your knees in the closet. You were praying. 
God, I need an answer. God, I need discovery. God, I need to figure this out. But somewhere along the way, the prayer turned into a nap. It's like you never got back up. And you're still, symbolically, of course, on your face, waiting for God to do something, and God is trying to say, just like he had to say to Moses, just like he had to say to the people of Israel, and particularly Joshua, that I need you to get up so that I can help you move forward. And so I don't know who that is tonight or who those somebodies are, but maybe you needed to hear that tonight, that maybe it's time to get up and to take some steps in the direction so that God can link up with you and God can show you what he has in store. Verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, so here we go, the story's about to unfold. Now I skip this for time's sake. Joshua has dug through, he's navigated each tribe, each clan, he's working through all the people trying to figure out what in the world happened and he finally lands on this guy, Achan, and let's see what happens. My son, here's Joshua speaking, and my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. So he confesses, this is awesome. And this is what I did, this is even better. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, so let's just say clothes, and 200 shekels of silver, money, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, more money, then I coveted them, took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Okay, there's a lot here, let's slow down. You're relaxed, okay. Slow down, first thing, he confessed with his mouth. Listen, God is glorified and your healing begins when you and I confess. When you and I let that sin come out of our mouth, doesn't have to be in a public room like this, but when you let it come out of our mouth, when we confess our sin to God, God is glorified, God begins a forgiving process, but at the same time, your healing process begins to happen. This is important. So when we confess, but then look what he saw. He saw clothes and cash, if you wanna translate that modern. Clothes and cash began to what? Draw him off the path. That wasn't a point, but you could write that down. Clothes and cash drew him off the path. Why? Because he had desires. His desires began to build up. Now, before I rip him apart, which I'm gonna do in just a second, before I rip him apart, let me say this. He came from generations of slavery where they had nothing. Then they were in the wilderness for 37, 38 years. Okay, and when they got out of the wilderness, the first thing they encountered was the city of Jericho. They conquered Jericho, and he saw clothes and cash, and he said, man, it's been a long time. In fact, because he was in slavery so long, I've never even seen this before. Something in me wants this. I want to take it, and he did. So we can't necessarily totally rip him apart just yet because we can understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, I want you to see this. Now, James 1.13 says this. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, that's a powerful passage, just save that for later. Now, it's interesting to note that it always seems like it's animal terminology when we're talking about temptation and falling into sin. Luring, enticing, right? And these things, this is how Satan works. This is what he does. Think about how you capture an animal. What do you do? You put some kind of bait out there, 
so that they draw out of their safety net so they'd be exposed so then you could take them. And this is exactly what Satan wants to do. The entire nation moved in as God instructed. The entire nation began to do as God instructed. But one guy was lured out by a little bit of clothes and a little bit of cash and all of a sudden he was exposed and he took it. Now watch this unfold. He saw it, he coveted it, he took it, and then he hid it. Let me say it again. He saw it, he coveted it, he took it, and then he hid it, okay? The first one, he saw it. He saw the clothes and cast. We'll just say it's over here. And instead of booking it, he lingered and looked at it, okay? Okay, maybe for some of you we need to translate that into lust, okay? Walking down the street, I don't know if you do that. One, you saw a cute girl or a cute guy in his short shorts, I don't know. Saw a cute girl. What you should have done is be like, there's beautiful people everywhere, no problem, and kept on walking. But instead, you said, there's a beautiful person right there. And instead of booking it, you looked and lingered it. Some of you need to get a tattoo of this. I'm just kidding, don't know. But you need to write this down. Because instead of booking it and getting out of there so that your eyes wouldn't play with you, your mind wouldn't start running racing, you would have gotten out of there and protected yourself. But because you lingered and you looked at it, all of a sudden we got a problem. And then he says what? Then I coveted it. His thoughts about it became his desire basically in action. His thoughts developed so much so that now his thoughts were something that he felt like he had to have. I looked at it, I lingered, I saw it, and now that I saw it, I have to have it. Then it says what? He took it. He took that which wasn't his and he made it his. Sound like anybody else in the Bible? But then it says that he hid it. And we don't talk about this one as much. But he took the steps to not only take it, but to make sure that no one ever knew about it. Let me, I just wanna share a thought with you that I think is important. Christian maturity is not just feeling bad after you sin, but before it. Christian maturity is when you go, that's not good. I don't like that, I don't want that, I don't wanna do that, and you get to a place where that is enough to push you away. That's the maturing process. Now, someone's gonna take some time to get there, but that's the goal. But Achan saw this and he said, I see it, I desired it, I took it, and then I hid it. And listen, the truth is, in all of us, there, there are desires. That's normal. That's not a surprise to us. But there are desires that are good, and there are desires that cross the line of sin. Okay, let's think about some for fear. The desire to eat is a good thing, because if you don't eat, you'll die. But if you eat too much, you fall in the place of gluttony, okay? So we can go on a list of all of these. There are good desires in life that are actually helpful. They're good, they're good things that God has given you to protect you and to make you live, right? Drinking water, eating food, that's all great. But like all things, too much of it can be a bad thing. And this is Achan. There was a desire because he saw something he never had before. Man, that's great. But wait till the next city, just like God instructed you, and what's coming is gonna be better. Why? Because God always gives his best to those who leave it up to him. God gives his best to those who leave it up to him. When we try to do it or make it happen on our own, it may be good, but it won't be the best. But when we, like, so go back to the relationship thing. How we landed here tonight, I don't know. I really wanna marry that girl. I really wanna marry that girl. I really, the more you say it, it ain't gonna change anything, by the way, but that's okay. I really wanna marry this girl. And you make it happen. And because you made it happen, guess what's gonna happen down the road? 
Most likely, not a guarantee. Most likely, something's going to fall apart. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. Once you're married, you make it work. That's just the way it is. That was your choice in the beginning. We got a whole bunch of series on that. We can go back to it later. But you need to understand this. You want to make it happen, that's great. But if you remember that for those who wait on God, they get the best. It's across the spectrum, but we'll just stop there on relationships. Last set of verses. Verse 22, and then we're going to jump to 25. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and beheld, and behold, it was hidden in his tent, with the silver underneath. Just like he said, verse 25, and Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? Think about this for just a second. Trouble on us. Do you remember how God articulated it back in verse one? The people of Israel, not Achan, the people of Israel broke faith. So here's Joshua. Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means the Valley of Trouble. Now, pause for a moment. We talked about death in the Old Testament and how this works with God. So I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back to that message so you can get some understanding on how this works. So I don't want to take too much time to talk about this, but I want you to see the most important point that's being articulated here. God deals with sin harshly. God deals with sin harshly. In the Old Testament, God dealt with sin directly. In the New Testament, God deals with sin through Jesus. And praise the Lord, we're living in the New Testament days. But regardless, God deals with sin harshly. Harshly. And that valley of trouble will be remembered as that all the way up till Hosea 2, 14 and 15. And if you want to study that on your own, write it down. It'll be a great Bible study for you. Now here's the good news. Every failure is not forever. Every failure is not forever. Can you, just, can you just let that roll around in your mind for just a second? Every failure is not forever. Let's think about Adam. In the very beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. We blame Adam because Adam was the head of the household. Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned. God sent Jesus to rectify it wasn't forever. King David, hanging out on his rooftop, being lazy, should have been at war. Don't ever forget, laziness leads to lust. Hanging out on his rooftop, looks across the way, what does he see? Bathsheba taking a bath or a shower. He sees her, he lingered, because he didn't book it. Come on, David, should have listened, should have listened tonight. He lingered and said of booked it, coveted it. And then he took it, and he sent his men to grab her, to bring her home. He slept with her. He got her pregnant, made it his, took what was someone else's and made her his. And then what did he do? He tried to hide it. Don't forget to hide. He tried to hide it. How did he do it? Killed her husband. Killed her husband. But then a good old friend, Nathan, a good old prophet, Nathan, came and called him out. It's a great story. You should read it if you have a chance. Calls him out, 
David falls on his face through a long progression, writes psalms about this, seeks God's forgiveness, eventually is restored, never quite the same, but restored, and is able to finish out the will that God has for his life. Here's the good news. Every failure is not forever. That's biblical, and that is now. I can tell you in my own life, I've made tons of mistakes because we're imperfect humans, but in my days of end of high school into college, they were some of the darkest years of my life. Things that I would talk about if I ever needed to, but that I don't need to. Evil days and evil things. A time that I know my mom thought I'd never get out of. I remember uh, my mom told me years later after I'd kind of moved out of that, and uh, she said that my sister used to come in at night crying, wondering when Chad was going to go to jail. I was her, that was her thought. That's how she saw me. It worked for my brother. He went the opposite way. I don't be anything like that, Bozo. And he lived a good life, and it was great. But in that season, that dark, dark season, i got to tell you, there were many times and many things that I look back on. And when I became a Christian, somebody hear this time, when I became a Christian, I knew that God had forgiven me, but I had to deal with a lot of junk before I was ready to just walk in that. If I died in that moment after I became a Christian, there was no doubt that I was going to heaven. I knew where I was, but the conviction, the weight of the decisions I'd made, the people I'd hurt and taken advantage of and all of those things, it weighed on me so much. And it took, it really did, it took about a year and a half for me to be able to process and to understand the best I could the love of God and the forgiveness of God. It was so hard for me because I thought that some of these failures, even though God had forgiven me, some of these failures were gonna just be forever. And I can tell you, for those of you that might find yourself in a similar spot, I can tell you that God was able to help me navigate those years. And I don't look back on them and celebrate them. I don't look back on them and rejoice. I don't look back on ever when I go back there again. But I can tell you that the Lord has helped me to move past that. And he can do the same for you. Every failure is not forever. And some of our failures are by our own decision. Most of them are, honestly. By our own stupidity. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm calling me. Just extend it out to you. By our own stupidity. But praise the Lord that through Jesus we can be forgiven, we can be restored, and we can even be not made better but made new. And as we walk in that, and for some it's gonna take some time, but man, as we walk in that, we begin to lift our head up higher and our shoulders back because we believe this is true. I am forgiven and I am made new. It's marvelous. Every failure is not forever. So here's, here's the thing. Some of us here tonight are hurting. For various reasons, we're hurting. Some of it, things that have happened to us, and that is not what we're going to refer to tonight. I just want to be honest with you. But a lot of us in this room are hurting because either of sin or because we have been pulled away from our safety safety net. The enemy has lured us out, and we find ourselves in a place where we have maybe never been before. And in your heart, deep down inside, you love God, but there's something, there's something off. And this is how the enemy works. He can't steal our faith from us, but man, he sure can lure us out of our safety nets, out of that, that comfort of knowing that God has taken us, forgiven us, made us new. And he can lure us out and get us just thinking, oh man, all that doubt comes in. Oh, you're, 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 mm-mm, mm-mm. 
God, yeah, God's got a plan for everyone in this room, but not you, buddy. You jacked up from the floor. There ain't no hope for you. You should roll with me for a little while. And he does that. But others of us, listen, others of us, it's sin in our life. And we're not talking about being perfect people. That's not what we're talking about. That's never gonna happen. We're never gonna be perfect, okay? But there is a difference between us running toward and living in sin versus us falling into it. There's a massive difference there. And so when you and I are pursuing sin, pursuing lives of sin, whatever that is, you need to understand that that sin is not only eating you alive, and some of you already know it, but that sin is affecting, just like the people of Israel, everyone around you. It affects your family, your friends, it affects your ministry. You know that churches, because, they're, because churches are people and not buildings, that when the people in the church, right, and if you're visiting tonight, it's okay, this isn't you, but when the leadership of the church, when the people of the church are struggling with sin in their personal lives, you know that in a, in a way it hinders what God's doing? Have you ever thought about that? Because you and I are the church. And then for some of us, listen, for the sake, listen, you're single now, you're not married yet, you're not even dating, you were mad, hopefully you're happy now that we got through this message and, and you're thinking about, oh, there's a, there's a way out here, there's hope here, this is great. Listen, you need to understand, if that sin is eating you up now, it's gonna eat up your marriage, it's gonna eat up your relationship with your kids, it's gonna eat up all the things that come with it, your career, it will devour you because that's what the enemy wants to do. He can't take your faith away, but man, if he can bring you down as much as he can while you're here, he's gonna do it. And so when we look at this story, the thing that I keep thinking about is this, this one guy caused so many problems for so many people. And my hope and desire is that maybe tonight we could wrap our minds around this and some of us could get really serious about some of the stuff going on in our life. Whether that's in your relationships, whether that's in whatever kind of substances you might be dealing with, the way that you're looking and treating people, the things that you look at. I mean, the lists will go on and on and on all night long of all the things. But what I want you to see tonight is that if you and I don't get serious about taking these things because we have the power as believers through Jesus Christ of taking these things and saying not anymore, or as KB would say, not today, Satan. All right, figuring out a way to say, listen, I have the power of God to cut this junk out, and I need to do it. Listen, if, if I could line up married people here in front of you, they would all tell you the same thing. I wish I had dealt with my junk before I got married. And some of us are going, I just want to be married. And praise the Lord, you're not married yet, because you're not ready. You're not ready. It's not them. It's you. They say that to you, it's not true. It's always you, always you, okay? And so what I'm saying to you is you have a chance to re-grab your life, to take this junk. And here's the thing. Some of us go, uh, yeah, tonight's the night. I'm done with this. I'm gonna cut this out, whatever it is in your life. I'm gonna cut it out. And you walk out of here and you're walking tall. You get out the door. You get to your car. You told nobody. And you try to do it on your own and you fail. Now we know that God can give you the strength, but God has also given us the power of community to walk through this thing together. And so some of you, if you're gonna conquer something, you gotta tell somebody about it so that you can get some people to walk with you. Because it's one thing to sit in a chair and be like, I, let's just use this one, I'm not gonna let porn control me anymore. And then to walk out of this room and not sell a soul that you're struggling with and to think you're gonna do it on your own. There is the power of God and the community of God and they link together. 
But man, some of us tonight, listen, I would bet most of us, can we just be honest? Most of us tonight got some stuff we need to figure out. And why is it important? It's not just for you, but that's the first part. It's gonna affect everyone. It's gonna affect everyone. Let's go back to pornography for just a moment. You think it's gonna stop when you get married? Because you got a woman to sleep with? It ain't. In fact, it's gonna radically screw up the way you see sex. And it will mess up your marriage. Again, I could line up married couple after married couple that could tell this testimony. I thought I would stop when I got married. I didn't. And in fact, it affected me so much, it affects the way that I look at my wife because I never got control over it. So what I'm saying to you now as single people, we got a chance to figure some of this junk out. Some of us need to just get up. That's where we're at, we gotta get up. Others of us, we got some stuff to kill tonight. And you need to kill it. You need to kill it. And I'm not saying deep down inside tonight, tonight, Lord, I'm gonna kill it. Let's do this. I walk out and not tell us. I'm saying you need to say I'm gonna kill it, and then you need to tell somebody you're gonna kill it. And you need to have them help you slay this thing tonight. Why? Because it affects everything about you going forward. And I'm telling you, if I were, listen, if I were to drop dead tonight. As long as I said this to you, I will be okay. In this moment, all right, life's bigger than all, bigger than y'all too. I'm sorry, I hate to break it to you. But in this moment, as a teacher and as a teacher of you here at this ministry, I can tell you that by telling you this tonight and begging that you would think about this for the sake of yourself and your families, your careers, your livelihood, your peace, you would say, no longer am I going to hang around. I want to get serious. I want to slay this tonight. I need to kill it. If we keep doing the same thing, we're never going to change. And then you can get older. You can get a new career. You can get a new car. You can get a new girl. You can get new clothes. But nothing will change unless it happens on the inside. That's the truth. And so tonight, what do you need to hear? I don't know. Maybe you need to get up out of your nap that started in prayer and turned into nap time. And you need to get up and start moving. And others of us, you got some stuff you need to slay and you need to do it tonight because God is saying, I want you to kill it because I'm telling you what I have for you is better than that struggle. Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys so much good. Think about that tonight.